Good morning. I want to say happy Father's Day once again, and I want to just say that um, we've got some photo opportunities for you. There's a car out front there and some other opportunities for you to take pictures with, with your man. And you know what? As I kind of look over the room here, I see, you know what? A lot of you ladies married over your head. I'm, I'm really impressed with you. That shows wisdom. Not going there. So we're in a series today, and we're finishing up the series today. It's just been called Refreshment in the Psalms. That's been our theme word for 2023, being refreshed. Feels good when you get refreshed, doesn't it? The first one, you remember in Psalm 23, we talked about, so what does it take to get refreshed? And then last week, we looked at Psalm 1, and the Bible taught us how it is that we stay refreshed, and today I want to focus on why it is that we want to be refreshed. I want to just say to you also, um, the pastors here on staff, we would appreciate your prayers this week. We're going to be in, um, at the National Church of God Convention um, in Tampa, and then we'll be back. But I just appreciate your prayers for travel and for the convention, and that it would be something that honors God. You know, one of the things that uh, my grandkids and I love to do at our house is we play hide-and-seek. I mean, I don't know about you, but that was, when they were a little especially, that was one of the favorite games that we would always play. And I got to tell you, I had as much fun as they did. So whenever we would all get together, and we have some pretty neat hiding places at our house, so we would begin the game by saying, okay, everybody would say, okay, we'll go and hide, Bob, Bob, and then you come and find us. And so I would say, okay, go, and they would all go and hide, and then I would count. One two, and I would count loud so everybody hear me, because if not, I would hear somebody from another room, count louder, Bob, Bob. And when I got to nine, I would always say nine and a half, nine and three, four, and then I'd say 10, and then I would announce, here I come. Now, you know what the, the, the thing that I love the most about my grandkids is, is that they're horrible at the game. <laughs> and the reason is, is because they can't wait to be found. And so what I learned to do is that if I just walk around, all I have to do is listen and I can hear their giggling. And then sure enough, somebody will stick out their head and they've just blown their cover and I know where they are. I remember my father-in-law taught me a great trick about hide and seek. He would take off his shoes, he would put them behind the curtains, right? And uh, so the grandkids would see my shoes there. Now my shoes are a little bit bigger than the normal average human being, I understand that. And one of them would say, look, Bob, I'm hiding behind the curtain. And then they would go, and when they would pull the curtain back, then I would jump out and scare them, and oh, we'd laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. I remember one time, one of the girls said to me, said, Bob, Bob, you're a really good seeker. And I said, well, thank you. And they said, you know what? They said, it's pretty hard to hide from you. Hmm. In Psalm 139, David is the writer of the psalm, okay? And there's a word that he, know, that he uses in the beginning, and he uses it several times because it's a word that is very important to this psalm, and it's the word know. The word know means to have knowledge of. That's what the word means, to have knowledge of someone, okay? Not just about them, but to have knowledge of them, okay? Everybody with me? So let me ask you a question. How many people know you? No, I mean really know you. 30, 
40, 10. Now, let me clarify something. I'm not talking about the Facebook you or the TikTok or the Instagram you. I'm talking about the real you. And I would describe it as, if you want to know the real you I'm talking about, I'm talking about the real you that has the successes and failures. Did you know that in life that's one of our greatest fears? One of our greatest fears is to be known. You know why? Because we're afraid that somebody might know us and not love us. So David now in Psalm 139 begins this, this writing that will eventually become a song that the people, the children of Israel would sing, and he says, my God searches me and knows me. Now, would you admit to me that one of the greatest feelings of life is when somebody knows you warts and all and still loves you? That's what David wants us to know this morning. God knows us, warts and all, and Romans 8 tells us, and he is still for us. Sounds to me like that's a God I'd like to get to know a little bit better. How about you? Would you stand with me out of respect for God's word? As I read from Psalm 139, and I'm just going to read verses 23 and 24. Here we go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, today, I want to be known by you but also, Lord, I need to be known, warts and all, successes and failures. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin with a quote from A.W. Tozer, okay? And I would like for us to read this together, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Here we go. What a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. So what does that mean there? Here's what it means. It means what you think about God is, will impact, will govern how you think about everything else in your life. And I just want you to let that sink in a little bit. So my friends, so what do you think about God? You know what I've learned in my life? Big God, small problems. The bigger my God is, guess what? The smaller my problems are. But when I have a little God, you know what happens? Oh, my problems get big. In fact, I get overwhelmed. You see, it's true. What we think about God affects how we think about everything else in life. So if you're struggling with some of those things in your life that life is turned upside down and you're wondering why things are asking and you're saying, where are you, God, and why is this happening? Maybe I would suggest to you, as David does, is maybe your God is too small. Well, that's David's point today. He wants you to understand a little bit more about his God. 
So what David does is he writes this Psalm 139. And you need to understand the purpose of him writing this Psalm is very simple. He's trying to introduce his God to the children of Israel. Now I know you're probably telling me, what do you mean his God? He wants them to know his God because David has experienced God in ways that nobody else has. And so he says, I love my God so much that I'm going to introduce you four ways, four ways that I've experienced God in my life. And he talks about God's presence, God's power, God's knowledge, and God's holiness. His omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his omniscience, and his holiness. That's what David is wanting to describe for all of us and the people, the children of Israel. I want you to think about something for just a moment. This past week, I was reading my Bible. Remember, I'm reading in the Old Testament. I'm reading through 1 Samuel, and I came to the story of David and Goliath. Oh, I love that story. It happens in the Valley of Elah. In fact, for those of you who are going with us on the trip to Israel, we're going to be at this valley. And I want you to know, you remember that David was just a shepherd boy, right? He was young. He was ruddy. He was handsome. And one day, his father, Jesse, told him, I want you to take this food to your brothers who are fighting in battle, and here's some for the commander. And so David goes, and when he gets up to the front line where his brothers are, as he's talking to them, the Bible tells us that this champion named Goliath, who was over nine feet tall, his armor weighed over 125 pounds, the spearhead alone was weighed 16 pounds, and he comes out and he taunts the army of Israel. And David was offended by that, wasn't he? And he says, who is this Philistine? Who is this man that comes out and says these things about our God? Do you remember what the Bible tells us about all of the soldiers for Israel? For 40 days when Goliath did this, they were shaking in their boots. They were scared to death. Grown men scared to death. And here comes this little young man, and he's thinking, who is this man? Now, why is that? Why wasn't David afraid of Goliath? Well, David tells us. Remember what he told us? He said, I was in the field with the shepherds. And you know what? I fought a bear. I fought lions. And you know what? Because of the power of my God, I was over, able to overcome. So who is a man that I should be afraid of him? Here's the message. Your experiences in life were given to you to encourage you for what God has for you in your future. Let's go through these first six verses here. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So what is David saying here? Here's what he's saying. My God has personal knowledge of me. Now, I hope the next question you ask is this. Well, Pastor Bob, what's the big deal about? It was huge. And here's why. Because in the days when David lived, the people believed that the gods were indifferent to mankind. 
You see, the gods saw the people as just a bunch of people that they were pawns that they could play with. And the people's job, the pagans, all those who are non-believers that had even seeped into the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they believed that all they had to do was to please these gods, and then they would leave them alone. And David now comes out and says, you don't know my God. My God knows me. The creator of the universe knows me. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know I know John Carney? I know you're thinking, wow. I've heard about John Carney. He's a legend. Now, isn't it amazing how impressed we are when certain people know people who are famous? And you need to understand, this is what David's telling his brothers and sisters in Christ. God knows me. He knows me. But then he goes on, and if you read that, he says, and not only does he know me, but he knows about me. In other words, he notices me. He knows when I sit, when I lie down. He knows when I eat. He knows when I tie my shoes. He knows the thought that's on my head even before it comes in. He knows the words that are on my tongue even before they come. My God knows me better than I know myself. And the people who were hearing this were thinking, who is this God? And David's trying to tell them, it's the Lord, the God of Israel. It's Yahweh himself. But David doesn't stop there. He goes on and he tells him, and not only that, he protects me. And he uses the word, he hems me in. Now, my grandma was a seamstress, and she would, when she would hem my pants, she would always tell me that she would make the hem so tight that nothing could get in between it. And that's the picture that David wants us to know about God. God is hemmed around us so tight that there's nothing that can get between us. Unless, ladies and gentlemen, it first goes through God's fingers. There is nothing that can get to you unless God gives it permission. Amen. I remember when I was growing up, my dad was a leader in the church. My dad used to say this to me. He said, Bobby, he said, you need to understand, we live in a glass house. Anybody else ever hear your parents say that to you? We live in a glass house. Well, what does that mean, Dad? It means that people are watching us. And by the way we act, that's how they're making their judgments. So when people are watching us, when you're out in public, you need to know you represent the family, and we always want to do it in a positive and light way. Okay, I get that. You see, that's what, God is, that's what David is telling us about God also. He says, listen, wherever you are, God's got his eye on you. But here's the thing, people. It's not something we're supposed to be afraid of. It's something we're supposed to find comfort in, great comfort. Think about your children. Think about your grandchildren when they're little. You watch them, don't you? Because you don't want them to call and grab a hold of, crawl and grab a hold of that leaf that's poisonous, right? You watch over them, and that's something that is to be of comfort to us. And that's what David is telling you. He's saying, people, listen, not only does God know you, not only is he hemmed in around to protect you, but his eye is always upon you, 
And that's not something that's bad. That's something that is good. Can we go back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment? In Genesis chapter 3, you and I both know, as we move on the psalm, that uh, one day God showed up in the garden. Remember? It wasn't just the first day because it was something that he had done on a regular basis. Remember what the Bible tells us, that the Lord God would come and he would walk with Adam. So in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord shows up and he asks a question, doesn't he? Well, that's the same question that David is about to ask. Take a look at this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, the question that David is asking is, where are you, God? Do you remember what the question was that God asked when he was in the garden and he called out to Adam? Remember what he said? He said, where are you? I mean, every day Adam had been there waiting for him. And now God couldn't find him. Did God ask that question because he couldn't find Adam? Not at all. He knew exactly where Adam was, didn't he? So why did God ask the question? It's real simple. Because he wanted Adam to admit that he was hiding. I don't know about you, but I always wonder, man, who would ever not want to be in the presence of Almighty God? Why in the world would Adam not want to desire to be in the presence of his creator? And the answer is real simple. It's guilt, right? You see, David wants us to know is that you can't hide from God. Huh, somebody forgot to tell that to Jonah, didn't they? Remember what Jonah did? God came to Jonah and goes, Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, okay. And then he takes off for the other direction. And what did Jonah find out? Jonah found out that even as far away as Joppa was, and when he was thrown into the sea, even in the belly of a fish, God was there, wasn't he? I want you to look at this. God is everywhere present in the totality of his being. You know what that means? That means, first of all, we cannot take God and limit God to just this building, right? We know God is in this place. His presence is here, but it's not just here. But that also means is that we can't say that God is just in the United States or just in the earth. Am I not correct in saying that a lot of times we think God is the God of the United States, don't we? But you need to understand there are other countries that are probably, that I know are growing faster in Christianity than we are. You can't limit God to any specific space. So David is telling us now, you don't have to call out to God, where are you? Now, here's what I want you to understand, because this is a very important statement that David makes that you wouldn't understand unless we find out for the history of how these people thought in those days. In those days, they believed that there were three things that could separate them from the gods. Three things. Death, distance, and darkness. Now, I want you to notice something here because David addresses all three of these. 
And I want to read these to you from Psalm 139. The first one is death in verses seven and eight. And listen to what David says. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. What's David saying? He's saying something very, very real to the people. God is on both sides of death. He's here, present, while we are on this earth. And guess what? Just like Betty, when we go to be with him in heaven, he is there too. And that's what he wants the people to name. There's never a time when you're separated from God, not even death. All right, then he goes on to the next one, and he says, okay, so not even death, but he says also distance. Okay, look at verses 9 and 10. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. All right, so here's what I want you to understand. If you were to travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, for one year, that would be a light year. Even when you get to that destination, God would be there waiting for you. In fact, all during the journey, God would be there. You cannot run from God. You cannot escape from him. There is no distance that is too far or too close. Then the third thing he says is this. He says, not even darkness. Look at verse, listen to verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, just think about this. How many of you have ever experienced depression before? How do you explain depression? Darkness, right? It's a slippery slope and we fall into darkness and that's what the people believed. They believed that there was a point in their lives that darkness, that they could not be seen by God. And David tells them, no, he's on both sides of death. When you are traveling at the speed of light even, he's there waiting for you when you get there. And even darkness, when you feel alone, don't listen to your emotions because your emotions lie to you. God is there. Now there's two things that we need to learn from that, and here's the first one. Ladies and gentlemen, you are never alone. Let's say that together. I'm never alone. We're going to say that together. Here we go. One, two, three. I'm never alone. Even when you feel like you're alone, the Bible tells us you are not alone. Doesn't that feel good? Because Satan whispers in your ear that you are all alone. That's his goal is to get you alone so he can plant seeds of doubt about God in your life. The word of God says, I am never alone. But here's the second thing. It also reminds us that we're accountable. Somebody once told me, they said, if you really believe that God was, a, was with you at all times, seeing everything you do, you wouldn't do 99% of the things that you do. Isn't that true? But there's accountability. If God is with us, and he is, and he's always around us, and he's protecting us, that means he's watching everything we do. 
Now, I don't know about you, but once again, that brings comfort to me because I know my God loves me. All right, almost done. Let's go to this next part. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So here's what's happening now. David now wants to describe for the people how powerful God is. So I just want you to think about this. Here's David. He may be sitting at a desk. He may be walking around, and he's looking, and he's trying to find something that could be a great example about how powerful God is. He looks up at the sun. Maybe it's the moon. Maybe it's the stars. He looks at the buildings. He sees the mountains. He sees the hills. He looks at the trees. He sees the vegetation. He sees the insects that are crawling, and he's trying to figure out a way that he can explain to the people about the power of God. And then, through the inclining of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit draws David's eyes from without to within. He brings us to the very most place where God's power is profound. And what is that place? It's the womb. It's the womb. And David says, it's here in this secret place that you weave me together. It's here in this place that I am created. And the Bible tells us that God pays attention to every little detail. Why do you pay attention to details? Because they're being done for a purpose and a reason. In some version of the Bible, it says, you knit me together. When I hear those words, knit, I'm taken back to Wentworth, South Dakota, and my grandma sitting in her chair knitting. She had those big old needles that were this long. You know what I'm talking about? And oh, she would knit, and she would knit, and she would crochet, and she would make all kinds of things. And I remember I used to watch her, and I would say, Grandma, how fast can you do that? And she would show me, and i go, well, why don't you always do it that fast? She goes, oh, no, I go slow. And i go, well, why is that? And she says, because every stitch is important. She says, this blanket, when I'm getting to remake, somebody's going to wrap it around them. And so with every stitch I make, I say a prayer. You see, she wanted the individuals to realize, whoever she was giving it to, that that which was keeping them warm was bathed in prayer. That was a part of her that she was giving away to other people. And that's exactly what happens in the womb. God says, I created you in my image. When does life start? It happens at conception, people. 
That's when life begins. And at that moment, God begins to create and he begins to knit and he begins to make you exactly the way you need to be. But I want you to understand what happened all of a sudden that we started listening to the world tell us about when life begins. What happened that all of a sudden we started letting the world be our conscience? Scripture is clear. Life is in the womb. And when that life begins at conception, it is a life. So if that life is eliminated, you can call it abortion or whatever, but in God's eyes, that is murder. There's no two ways about it. And you can say, oh, Pastor Bob, I don't believe you. You know what? That's okay. But one day we will stand before our God and we will give an account. Now, I want to say something to you. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. But have you ever looked in the mirror and you thought, I'm not crazy about what I'm seeing today? (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you look in the mirror and says, oh, I found out. Did you know your nose and ears continue to grow all of your life? That's true. So sometimes I'll look in the mirror and I'll go, man, my nose is getting bigger. You know what I mean? Or maybe I'll look and say, ah, my arms aren't big enough, or oh, you know what, I'm too heavy, or I'm too skinny. I mean, you, you go through all of these different things, right? And some days you walk away, I'm not having a good hair day, and it's like, you know what, I'm just not feeling too good about myself. You know what the Bible tells us about that? God never says that about you. Now listen to me very carefully. You know why God never says that about you? Because when God created you, he created you exactly the way he needed you to look, sound, and be so that he could use you to accomplish his purpose. Amen. You know what that tells me? My life does not belong to me. In my sicknesses, God knew that was going to happen. And the reason he allowed it to happen was so that I could glorify him through what I'm going through. And the same thing is true in every one of us. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Have you heard that lately? Are you hearing that in the world right now? God made me like this. Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. It's real simple. God doesn't make mistakes. Let's wrap this up. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. All right. So David now gets to the end of the psalm, and now he says, you know what? In my life, I have blind spots. And he says, Lord, I need help because there are areas in my life that I am even blind to my blind spots, and I need your help. And so David is now asking God, would you help me see things through your eyes? You see, because the way I see myself, I don't look so bad sometimes. But the way God sees me, he sees me totally in a different way. And he knows those areas in my life where I struggle. 
And so David says this, God, I know you know me better than I know myself. And I know I have blind spots. And so I want to see me the way you see me. And then I will be able to walk this life because I will be bowed low and I will be humbled. But I will walk this life all the way to life everlasting. And that's the goal, right? Search me, O God. Know me. See if there is any anxious way within me. And then show me and I will confess it to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this incredible psalm written by your servant David. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to meditate on. There's a lot we can tell you about what it is we are eating. But God, like David, I want to know the God that David knows. And the way that happens is by experiencing you. Today, Father, Help me to remember and recall the times that you've been in my life and have done great things. But Lord, I also pray, as I move forward, I admit you I have blind spots. I'm not even aware that they're there. So Lord, help me to see myself the way you see me. I promise I'll confess it, I'll own it, but I'll give it to you. And then we can walk the rest of life together all the way to heaven. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, I just want to remind you that today, if you have one of those bottles for Embrace, we've got places out in the foyer that you can bring those and give those to. And I want to say thank you for doing that. Would you please stand? I want to give you the benediction, and then I'm going to release you, because, men, I know you've got some incredible meals waiting for you at home. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. My dear friends in Christ, God looks at you, he knows you, and he likes what he sees. Live like that. God bless you. Have a great week.